You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. Now, it's time for a trip down on the farm. Let's check in on reports from around the Oakland A's minor league affiliates. Welcome to the A's Farm Podcast. I'm your host, athleticsfarm.com editor-in-chief, Bill Moriarty. And today, we're going to be joined by A's Assistant General Manager, Billy Owens. He's a man who probably knows as much about every single player in the game as any human being currently breathing. So we're going to take the chance to pick his brain and get his insights on a number of the A's top prospects. After that, we're going to be joined by longtime Stockton Ports play-by-play man, Zach Beirudi. And finally, we're going to talk with one of the A's top young outfield prospects who's been swinging a big bat at Stockton this season, Lazaro Armenteros. But first, here's A's assistant general manager, Billy Owens. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Billy. Hey, Bill. Good to be here. Well, uh, I, I'm in Vegas at the moment. Are you in a, in a secret, undisclosed location due to your top secret work on the upcoming draft? Yeah, not too much of a secret. Actually, I'm... Um, I'm in Arizona right now, uh, take off again, uh, first thing tomorrow morning. So, um, it's going to be an interesting draft this year. We picked 29. I think our next pick is right at 66 and our third pick is at 104. So, um, it's going to be, I think the, the draft's kind of an emerging draft. I mean, obviously at the top, you got Rutschman, you got Vaughn from Cal, uh, Bobby Witt, uh, junior out there in uh, Dallas, Texas. But then after that, it's pretty much, um, on an individual team basis, who, who likes who? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who ends up falling to, to the A's in, in your slot. Uh, well, one day we're going to have to uh, take some time to dig a little more into your whole uh, your whole life story and how you spend your year out there uh, beating the bushes for, uh, for prospects. But uh, I know you're busy with the draft at the moment, so we're going to cut right to the chase today and get your take on some of the A's most exciting young prospects. And that guy I wanted to start out asking you about is a, a player who just had the chance to make his major league debut, and that's uh, outfielder Sky Bolt. And it's interesting because last year, you know, he struggled a bit when he got sent up to double A and he got sent back down to, to A ball. And here this year, he starts out in triple A completely on fire, just hitting up a storm and ends up getting a chance to make his major league debut early in the season. So what, what, what's been the turnaround for Sky Bolt uh, this year? Uh, Sky, he's a great story. I mean, he was a uh, high, highly talented kid out of a, a Atlanta, Georgia high school before he went to North Carolina. And then he was one of the the, the best freshmen in the country um, at University of North Carolina. And at the ACC tournament his freshman year, they had like Chad Pender was a draft eligible junior that year. They probably had Colin Moran was at North Carolina as a, as a junior that was like the sixth pick overall. Uh, Scott Bolt was, was the best player on the field for that whole tournament. And then um, his next two years in college, uh, sophomore, junior years, he didn't live up to that billing. But um, one thing he always had, he always had a very good plate discipline. His walk-to-strikeout numbers when college were uh, exceptional. He was always one of the youngest players in the Atlantic Coast Conference for his, uh, for his age. And, and he was a very toolsy player. I mean, from a scout perspective, he was a guy that had a real lean body. Uh, his foot speed, uh, major league average is five. His foot speed was at least six on a major league average scale. And his arm was probably a seven with uh, his raw power, even though he didn't hit that many homers in college, being probably at least a six as well. So if you combine those aspects, he was a guy that was ranked probably to go in the first or second round of the draft. And we were able to get him in the fourth round because uh, he didn't live up to expectation per se. But he always had that plate discipline. He was always young for the league. And you combine that with the athleticism, uh, he was a good uh, player development project and success story. So um, he went down there. Keith Lipman, uh, his great staff, were able to cultivate those skills. And so he went from Beloit doing okay 
uh, scratched the surface one year in the California League, uh, went to double A, got his ass kicked, uh, went back to high A ball, learned some lessons. And then uh, last year in the um, Texas League, he was actually the player of the year in the Texas League, player of the, of the month in August. I believe right. he had eight or nine home runs in, in August. Uh, he led that circuit in extra base hits, carried over to the Arizona Fall League. And uh, lo and behold, he had the breakout April, and he got a chance to taste the major leagues. Well, hey, it's great to see that it looks like he's finally putting uh, putting those tools together and, and making a really a complete player out of himself. Another guy who really has gotten off to a great start at the AAA Las Vegas this year is shortstop Jorge Mateo. Everybody knows he, he struggled a bit last year for most of the season during his first year at AAA, but he's back for his second season, this time in Vegas, and he's just been uh, yeah, hitting up a storm there from right out of the gate. And he's just he just looks like a, a, a new player, a reborn player this year. So what, what what's up with uh, Jorge Mateo? Hey, Jorge Mateo, he's always had a, um, you know, a vaunted combination of, of power and, and speed as far as the combination. He's got top scale speed, uh, 80, 80 speed on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. And he actually has some sense to draw power. I think uh, the year we acquired Jorge Mateo from the, the Yankees, uh, he was the only guy in the minor leagues that year that had double-figure home runs. I believe it was like 10 or 11, and stole over 50 bases. So the power-speed combination's always been there. He's got all the tools to play shortstop. But, I mean, he was when he came over to us, he was 22 years old and only had really, I believe, three or 400 at-bats above the eight-ball level. And so going to AAA, Nashville, tremendous city, uh, beautiful ballpark, but – it definitely favors the pitchers. So you got a kid that was never a, a real strong plate discipline guy that only had three or 400 uh, bats above a ball and um, going to the pitcher's park. I mean, it really wasn't surprising that he had to, to get his feet wet and kind of learn on the fly last year. So, but he, he went to winter ball, uh, got a, you know, over a hundred at bats there, kind of fine tuned, um, his skill set came out to spring training, and in the spring training, he was noticeably better within the strike zone. He had better at bats. He strung it. He swung it up. Quality strikes. He was laying off the, the the pitches outside the strike zone at a higher clip. And so when he got sent down, it, it carried over to the minor league spring training. And so when he went to the um, to Vegas this year, he went there a lot more experienced uh, with 500 uh, AAA at bats under his belt. And uh, the physicality and the electricity and the speed uh, with the taste of power, uh, we're seeing that. And, and hopefully it continues. And if it does, he'll get an opportunity at some point in the 5-1-0. Uh, that's for sure. I know I talked to him, I think, in January. And he said he, he knew he needed to be more focused and more consistent to be successful. And it seems like he's been doing just that this year. Um, a guy who was your uh, top pick in 2017, outfielder Austin Beck. He's part of a very talented uh, trio of outfielders there in Stockton this year. And it's interesting because last year at uh, Beloit, he hit, I think, in the 290s while playing a very solid center field every day. But he only had two two home runs, which is a little surprising. But this year in Stockton, he's already uh, more than doubled that, that output uh, in the early going of the season. We all know the California League's a much uh, friendlier environment for hitters. Uh, but what are you seeing out of uh, Austin Beck at this stage of the game? Yeah, honestly, I thought uh, Austin had a successful uh, year in Beloit. I, mean, I think probably the league average there for hitters, uh, 245. Um, so he had 290 last year. He led the circuit in hits as a teenager. is pretty impressive. Right-handed hitter as well. And so, honestly, I mean, I was kind of – I was happier with the 290 and the two homers mm-hmm. and playing a great center field with his power – uh, on on the come versus a guy that you know what if he went to the Midwest League last year hit 250 top 20 home runs and struck right. out excessively more uh, I'd, I'd be more encouraged by the 290 at 19 right. years old in the Midwest League so honestly I mean it's it's great I mean he's got you know probably you know always scouting skill he probably got 70 raw power I mean his, his raw power is pretty ridiculous I mean he can go <laughs> line to line and he can reach the upper deck. But I still want him to, you know, build off of what he did last year and really touch that baseball at all quadrants, you know, fastball, curveball, change-ups, use the field. 
because I, I believe the power is going to manifest if he continues to do that at the higher level, the double A, triple A, and eventually the major leagues. And he doesn't need to be a, a swing miss guy at all. So his OPS down a little bit as far as um, the contact quotient. So I just hopefully he finds a happy medium and just, you know, just builds off what he did last year. I mean, the talent's there. The kid's, uh, he's got a rocket for a throwing arm. Uh, he played a very, um, uh, a very good center field last year. So he fits that he can, he can play a major league caliber center field. And he also would fit well in right field with the, with the strong throwing arm. So the physicality, the talents there, and just a matter of cultivating that talent on the way up the ladder. Well, another guy in that uh, the talented, uh, star-studded uh, Stockton outfield this year is your uh, Cuban uh, bonus baby, Lazaro Armenteris. And uh, he's been a very productive force in the heart of that Stockton lineup in the early going this season. Uh, for much of the year, he's been leading the team in uh, home runs, uh, as well as walks and strikeouts, I think. So he's, uh, he's definitely been driving them in in Stockton. And um, it's interesting to see that with his power that he's been able to, to take as many walks as he has as well. Um, so what are you seeing out of uh, Lazaro, who I think is still just on the verge of turning, uh, turning 20 at this point, so still very young? Yeah, now Lazarito, teenager, turning 20 pretty soon. Um, yeah, he, he's got, I mean, for one, he walks in a room here. He's impressive. I mean, the physicality of his body uh, is kind of a jaw dropper. Um, and so, I mean, he's a kid that he came over. He's always got a slight uppercut, so he definitely puts the ball in the air, but he will have a share of swing misses. But <clears throat> the fact that he, he also has an advanced eye at the plate, uh, he, he's very disciplined in his approach. That leads to his walks. So, I mean, He's probably going to be a three-outcome guy at the top level. Um, I can see him right. hitting, you know, anywhere from 240 to 260, uh, popping you 20 to 30 in a good year. And he's going to try to walk a, a hundred times, and he's probably going to strike out 150 times plus. I mean, that's just going to be right. his style of play. And he's going to, you know, hopefully with that, have a over a 350 on-base percentage at, at the top level. But he's going to hit massive tanks. I mean, he's got silly raw power. He's got plus speed as well. I mean, he's, um, I haven't looked at the steal category yet, but he's capable of being a 15 to 20 stolen base guy. And so he's got a power speed component. Now, defensively, he's okay. He, he's got his, his arm strength is, is his biggest deterrent. That's what probably keeps him in left field for, for, the, um, for the duration. Right. But as far as him being a threat at the plate, having a chance to hit the ball over the wall to all quadrants, take a walk, uh, use that on-base ability to, to use his speed. Um, if that challenge there, he's going to walk and he's going to come with some strikeouts. Uh, well, I'll tell you another uh, really interesting young prospect you guys have at Stockton this year is shortstop Nick Allen. Now, he was always primarily known as a sort of defense-first shortstop. He, he didn't hit a whole lot last year at Beloit. But, he, again, he's started out the season really swinging the bat well. He seems like he's hitting the ball with a lot more authority. I know for much of the season he's been leading Stockton in, in doubles, um, which, you know, really shows a lot of progress uh, at, at the plate for him. Um, so what, what do you what do you think's happening with uh, Nick Allen this year in the in the Cal League? Yeah, Nick the Quick. You know, it's kind of like my um... – um, for some reason, I get that that Lakers uh, Nick Van Exel moment. When I think of Nick the Quick here, but um, now nah, he's he's a good player. I mean, he he made 15 errors last year in in a full season as a 19 year old kid in the California in a um, Midwest League. I mean, I watched a, a five game series in the Midwest League last year. Nick Allen played shortstop five games and didn't bobble a ball. I mean, it, it was pretty impressive. He's got you know really good range. The arm strength plus, the hands are phenomenal. And honestly, I mean, he's got a good eye at the plate. And I think the first half last year, he was still in that mold that he wanted to um, almost be reckless at the plate and, and try to do too much. The second half last year, he had 274, and his uh, on-base percentage was a lot better in the first half. And he really used the diamond more, and he put more of an emphasis on just controlling the strike zone and having good at bats last year in the second half. And um, he went to instruction league, kept on working on that. He got continued to get stronger in the off season. So, and he just, he's refining his approach. So yeah, I don't think he's, um, I think that's a kind of a, a misnomer for him to be 
just a defensive player. He's a phenomenal defensive player, but he's got a chance to, you know, and seeing a chance to be a two-way shortstop. I mean, seeing, you know, Simeon's really blossomed after the trade from the White Sox with us. Um, you got Franklin Barreto, who's still on the cusp, going up and down, played shortstop in our system. Chad Pender's moving around as far as being an all-around infield and outfield, played shortstop in our system. Daniel Robertson, Addison Russell. Uh, we've had a lot of pretty good players there in the last um, handful of years. Nick Allen has a chance to be as good, if not better, than all those guys because defensively he's exceptional and he's going to surprise people with the bat. Yeah, well, definitely it's a good sign seeing what he's been able to do at the plate this year in Stockton. It definitely augurs well for his productivity as a player going forward. All right, the last couple of guys I wanted to ask you about are a pair of pitchers that we always seem to think about in the same breath, and that's Parker Dunshee and Brian Howard. You guys took them with back-to-back draft picks a couple of years ago, and they've sort of you know moved together through the system. They both really impressed in both Stockton and Midland last year. They're both back at AA Midland this year, and they've both been impressing again uh, uh, right out of the gate. They seem like two, uh, two very talented guys who really do know how to pitch. So what can you tell us about Parker Dunchy and Brian Howard and how they factor into the A's uh, thinking in the future? Yeah, Parker Dunchy and Brian Howard, they're kind of off the radar prospects per se, but they're definitely prospects. I mean, first, Parker Dunchy, uh, he's from Indianapolis. Uh, he went to Wake Forest University out there in North Carolina. Uh, he was a four-year rotation guy uh, at at Wake Forest in the ACC. Very successful. I mean, he was a guy that, if he really would have pushed the draft envelope, had a chance to go probably as high as the, maybe the third or fourth round, probably as low as probably the sixth or seventh. Just, I don't, I don't know. Weird things happen in the draft sometimes, but the talent was <laughs> definitely there. So we were very fortunate the next year that he had another strong senior year uh, and he fell to, you know, where we picked him in the draft. But uh, Dunchy, um, for one, he was that guy who was guaranteed as a quarterback uh, in high school, was a point guard on, on the basketball team, really good athlete. Uh, from a baseball perspective, he reminds me of David Phelps. Um, mm-hmm. with the, he came with, he's with the Seattle. Yeah. He came up with the Yankees of uh, uh, Phelps. Uh, throws that Phelps only throws 92, but he, he has that, that way of missing bats with the 92. And uh, Dunshee is, is very good at that. He, he can get ahead with the fastball. He's got a four-pitch mix. But a lot of times, Parker Dunshee will finish a batter by throwing a 92-mile fastball right at his navel as far as height-wise. And, and he finds a way to miss bats right at the top of the zone. So uh, it's very similar to Phelps. I saw Phelps when he was with um, Ian Kennedy, Jelba Chamberlain, uh, coming up through the Yankee system. And uh, Phelps was always that underrated guy. And uh, Jelba had a great career. Ian Kennedy, he's closing games out there in Kansas City. But uh, Phelps has had a solid career. I think Parker is well on his way to to doing very, very well, too. I mean, intelligent, uh, nice four-pitch mix, uh, very good competitor. He's like a... You know, nice guy away from the field, uh, almost a scratch golfer. I mean, a guy that, you know, unassuming personality almost, but when he gets on that mound, he's definitely a tiger. Uh, Brian Howard, uh, he's six foot eight, uh, very um, similar repertoire to Doug Fister. Mm-hmm. Doug Fister went to Fresno State, uh, Seattle draft pick as a senior as well. Uh, had a had a solid career for Seattle uh, and Detroit, a little bit of Boston. And they're both 6'8", and just like Fister, Brian Howard creates a, a unique angle from that, that wicked height, uh, gets downhill with the fastball, so it plays up a little bit. Um, Howard's got, and really has five pitches. He's got a fastball, slider, curveball, cutter, and a changeup. Uh, uses the mix well. He'll top out at 91. He'll scratch at 92, but like Fister, that angle and the, and the extra reach being six foot eight allows his fastball to, to play another, you know, a yard, I mean, 12 a foot to probably 18 inches or so. So it definitely his 91 looks a little bit harder. So Howard and Dunshee have a chance really to, if you look at us over the years, we always, you know, from the late great Corey Lytle 
we always have that fourth or fifth starter that really fills up the strike zone, uses that Coliseum with, with the foul territory, and it's tough to hit a ball out of the Coliseum. And those guys fit well as far as um, being strike throwers, not not really issuing, you know, real low walks per nine innings. Uh, Parker Dunshee and Brian Howard are definitely strong prospects. Yeah, well, like you mentioned, they're a little under the radar in, in the fact that they don't really make a lot of people's top 10 prospect lists or anything. But, uh, you know, they've performed so well, and they are just kind of those solid guys who know how to pitch, who could really fill out the back end of a rotation, particularly pitching in a place like the Coliseum. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them uh, going forward in the future. Well, it's always uh, interesting and enlightening talking to you, Billy. So uh, thanks so much for taking time out to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Bill, always a pleasure. I uh, really appreciate um, what you do, you know, as far as uh, really watching our farm system, you know, talking to, in and outs to the Grady Fusas, Ed Spriggs, the Keith Lipmans, and getting the insights uh, uh, backwards and forwards, in and out thoroughly, externally and internally of our system. Uh, it's really a pleasure to see you out there doing it. And actually, I follow you as well as far as getting all the information. Uh, I think you do a hell of a job. Well, we couldn't ask for a better endorsement than that. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Billy. Stay tuned for more on the Ace Farm Podcast coming right up. If you've ever tuned in to any Stockton Ports broadcast over the past many years, then you know Zach Bayrudi is the longtime play-by-play man for the Ports. Very few people have their eyes on all the action in Stockton as much as he does. And we recently took the chance to talk to him about his career as the man behind the mic for the A's California League affiliate and to get his take on some of the top young prospects in Stockton this season. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Zach. Thanks for having me, Bill. Always a pleasure. Well, we, we definitely want to talk to you about some of the the exciting prospects you've got there in Stockton this season, like Austin Beck and Lazaro Armenteris and, and Nick Allen. But but first, I wanted to talk to you a bit about your career behind the mic. So I believe you're now in your 14th season in Stockton, right? 14th season going back to 2006, I think. And, and I think that year, just to give you some, some uh, frame of reference, I think Travis Buck was our top prospect coming in that year. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed, ch- changed a bit since then. <laughs> but, you know, you, you've obviously seen a whole, a whole lot of A's prospects that come through there over the past, uh, over the past many years. But I, I'm curious how, you know, there's a lot of people that think, oh, gee, I, you know, I'd love to be calling games. I could be a play-by-play man, you know, that, what, what are, you know, how, what a great job, you know, but I'm just curious, how did you get started there in Stockton? How did you get that gig that that has now lasted these 14 seasons? Well, I actually went to school for for journalism. I wanted to be a sports writer. Uh, And then I I did an internship with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and then Florida Marlins in Jupiter, Florida Uh, with Northeastern University. They let you do a co-op program, which is a it's like a work experience program for a couple semesters. So mm-hmm. I went down there and did that. And then, and then I got into PR and then I ended up meeting uh, a guy down there by the name of Bo Fulginetti, who's, he was the voice of the Daytona Cubs, which they don't even exist anymore. <laughs> which goes to show you, you know, how, how long it's been, but um, I met Bo and, and he would come through Roger Dean stadium in Jupiter uh, as the Cubs radio guy. And he was only one of three radio guys in the Florida state league. So, you know, we, we struck up a friendship. Uh, he was there quite a bit because we had two teams that played there. So uh, he asked me to come on the air with him a couple of times just to kind of have somebody to, to be a counterpoint. And he, you know, I guess he liked what he heard from me on the radio. And he said, have you ever thought about doing this? And, and once you graduate, would you be interested in moving to California? Because I'm probably going to be moving to Stockton, California. I said, I'll go anywhere. So uh, I went to Stockton and, uh, you know, my role, my first year was doing a lot of the PR stuff. And then I would be on the radio uh, for home games and then a bunch of, of, of away games in the division. Uh, and then Bo ended up leaving after a year and, uh, and they offered me the job and the rest is kind of history. I'm, I'm pretty self-taught. I mean, Bo taught me a lot. I'm pretty self-taught outside of that. And I just got lucky, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, that, that brings up something that, that always occurs to me is that when you started out there, you know, you guys were working, uh, you know, at, in, at, as a two man booth there. Yet most of the time, I thought people don't realize a lot. Most minor league uh, announcers, you know, you're you're all alone in the booth. You're working totally on your own. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have a, you don't have a partner to play off of. You don't have someone to take over and give you a little bit of a break. So what's it like, you know, having to, to be on top of the game sort of every second, every play, every 
you know, every night, not not not, you know, really having ha having a break in the action or or someone to play off of in the booth. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I um, you know, I listen to a lot. I don't know, A's fans won't want to hear this. I listen to a lot of the the Giants uh, midnight replay broadcasts on, mm -hmm. on KNBR here in in the area because they air them at midnight, and I'd be driving at that time. And I mean, John Miller and Dave Fleming were, you know, that they're always an entertaining listen. And one thing that struck me about what especially John Miller does is. Uh, there are moments where it's it's not always heightened. Like it's he's not always like right on top of everything. And it, right. it, it was it, it was interesting for me to hear that because the moments where he was on top of of something, you were really captivated and paying attention. And, and the rest of the time, I mean, you're just enjoying listening to John talk about whatever the nautical craft out in right field and <laughs> this and that and and you know before before long you're you snap out of it and you're thinking to yourself what's what's this guy talking about actually you know <laughs> so it, it kind of gave me that perspective of hey you know what this is an enjoyable listen and it's you're not always breathing down people's neck about every little detail of everything now there's you want to make sure you paint that picture of course right. but there's also especially when you're working by yourself you have to vary it you can't you can't be on top of every little thing every single time. It's just going to be overbearing and a tough listen. So I just try and keep it casual. Um, I try and keep it conversational, which over the years, because I've been very blessed to be with, with the A's for 14 years, I've gotten to know a lot of people. I have great stories. Um, I have friends in the organization. I have, you know, you guys in, in the, the A's media that I've I've gotten to know quite a bit. So there's a great well of, of information and stories and anecdotes that I can dip into and that that help helps me over the years and and has helped me fill the time uh you know by myself on the air for a lot of games well like you said when you're when you're calling the games on your own it it, it really isn't coming upon you to paint that picture for people because uh nobody else is is, is there to do it so <laughs> you oh, know yeah. I, I believe I, I mean in this context i believe at some point you also called the longest game in california league history at some point right so that, that was quite a picture to have to paint on your own, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I think it was June. It spanned two days because at the time the Cal League had a curfew, which they no longer have the curfew, but they curfewed it, I think, in like the going into the 14th inning um, at midnight. And then it, it continued to the next day. I think it was like June 4th and 5th. Um, <laughs> and it was 21 innings, seven hours and 34 minutes. It was it was insane, and it's it's really. And I was thinking about this the other night. It's really sad because I don't think we're going to get games like that anymore in the minor leagues with the right. way they have the extra innings structured now, where you're starting with the runner at second base. You know, I mean, we had a game in the Cal League go 13 innings uh, the other the other night between Lancaster and Modesto, and it was it was pretty wild. I don't know how entertaining it was. It was I didn't see the game. I saw the box score, and they, they combined for like 15 runs during the extra inning period, which <laughs> is obviously a product of having that runner at second. But right. I don't know if we're ever going to get those those weird games like that anymore. And it's, I mean, at least for me, it's sad because it, to me, that's those are the memorable games. Those are what those are what uh, stand out in your mind. Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of a shame not to have those those memorable oddities uh, like like we once had. Uh, you know, it's not like you have an extra inning game every day. So if you if you occasionally have one that goes uh, twenty innings or something, yeah, so be it. You know, I mean, you, you, it's definitely yeah. something you won't forget, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, we had the game in two thousand twelve where it was the famous uh, the famous forfeit game. Todd Steverson was the manager, the acting manager at the time, and he was the the roving hitting coordinator. And uh, our manager Webster Garrison was uh, was on his vacation, which the A's make their coaches take a vacation once a series. And uh, Todd Steverson was the acting manager, and he basically. I'll never forget. He asked Josh Whitaker to intentional balk to end the game in like the 18th inning. He was a our second position player that was pitching. <laughs> there was no end to the game in sight, and it became national news because the local media asked asked Todd if if he balked on purpose, and he said, "Well, yeah, because I didn't want to hurt my guy." Um, <laughs> it, I mean, that stands out in my mind as one of those games that I will just I'll never forget. I will never forget it. So are, are there any other particularly uh, uh, unusual or interesting, uh, wacky, wacky or memorable moments from your uh, from your years in the Cal League that stand out in your, in your memory? Yeah, there was one game in San Jose and it was in 2011, I want to say. Yeah, it was 2011. And I'll, I remember that right before the game, the skies open and I think it was hailing. And we're like, are we going to get this game in or what? And then the hail stopped. 
And it, it ended up clearing up, but it was like bitter cold in San Jose that night. It was, I think, either late April or early May. Uh, the game went 18 innings. Uh, the, the Ports scored three separate times in extra innings. I think they scored in the, the 11th, the 13th, and then the Ports scored three runs in the top of the 18th, and the Giants scored four in the bottom of the 18th to win it. And the way they scored four was there was bases loaded, two outs, and a ground ball was hit to Dusty Coleman, uh, who you probably mm-hmm. remember if you're mm-hmm. a fan of A's prospects, and he's the most sure-handed shortstop ever. And because the game was in the 18th inning, they didn't drag the infield. The ball hit a pebble or a divot or something, and it took kind of a funky hop on Dusty, and he, he tried to knock it down and flipped to second for the force, and we would have been going to the 19th, and it wasn't in time. And that's how the Giants ended up winning that game that night in San Jose. And it was like 1 in the morning when it ended, and I remember we had to go to Bakersfield the next day. Uh, <laughs> they no longer exist, obviously, but but right. I, the bus was supposed to leave at like 9 a.m. And so – you know, I, I guess I didn't communicate with, with our manager at the time. And I got to the ballpark at like eight 30 for the nine o'clock bus. And there was absolutely nobody there. And I guess they pushed the bus back to like noon. They were like, we're just going to show and go tomorrow. Cause of this, you know, this late game. And here I am at the ballpark at eight 30 and I'm like, oh, okay, like I guess I'm here, but I'll never forget the game. And I'll never forget going to the ballpark to, to nobody that next day. You'll never forget the few hours of sleep you could have had that morning. <laughs> exactly. The precious hours. Now I know you also uh, you've also done uh, play-by-play for UOP basketball. How, how is it different calling calling baseball and, and calling a you know a different kind of fast-moving sport like basketball? It's so different, um, and I'm I'm so grateful that I have both of those seasons because it is it is a nice change of pace when I go from one to the other. Um, you know, baseball is so so story-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, so so detail oriented, and I, I try and make my basketball broadcast as detail oriented as I can, and try and throw in anecdotes when I can. Um, but really, it's it's striking how fast it goes. So you're basically on radio for basketball. You're on top of the action. You can try and sprinkle in facts here and there, stories here and there. But I mean, you time them when you're coming out of a break and they're coming out of a timeout, and you have this, you know, thirty seconds to a minute to get this in. Uh, whereas during a baseball game, you can spend a couple of innings talking right. about a story or, or what. So, you know, I, I'm grateful <laughs> for both. I find them both entertaining in their own way, but they're vastly different. Yeah, yeah, definitely a, not, a, not a lot of time for a lot of long uh, stem-winding stories in a, in a basketball game, that's no. for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, like I mentioned, you, you've seen so many A's prospects come through Stockton there on their way to the major leagues over the past many years. And and this year in particular, you've got a, you've got a lot of top prospects in the A system there at Stockton, and and you really you know see as much of these guys as anyone. You're on top of every play, every move they make every mm-hmm. night. So I, I really want to take the opportunity to just kind of get your take on some of these these top prospects uh, that are there in Stockton this season. I think one of the most uh, intriguing guys there is uh, Lazaro Armenteras. Um, of course, the A's uh, young, uh, still teenage uh, Cuban prospect um, who's playing the outfield and has really gotten off to a, to a good start there this year. Um, but you've been seeing him every day, every night, every, every move he makes. What, uh, what have your impressions been of uh, Lazaro so far this season? Uh, the tools will definitely strike you, uh, especially considering how young he is. Uh, you know, I think he's 19 and, and the tools are there. He hits for raw power. He hit a ball out of the park in San Jose uh, that I think still might be in the air. It, it was hit that hard. Um, he can, he can run. Uh, he, he hustles, you know, a lot, a lot of times you don't know what you're going to get, especially with the international prospects, because uh, it was Rick Magnante who told me this one time. He goes, you know, if you go uh, scout internationally, these guys are used to showcasing. They're not used to playing baseball in, in, in a, in a lot of uh, instances, you know, right. like it, these guys can showcase, they can showcase the power, they could showcase the, the wheels, but the, the acumen for the, for the game might still be developing a little bit. Right. Um, whereas I think Lasaro has that acumen at, at a young age. So to go along with the tools, he's also played, you know, in, in, in Cuba at a very high level. And it's it's evident uh, when you see him play. So I think there's there's definitely reason to be to be excited about Lasaro. Yeah, definitely a very talented young guy who it's going to be really fun and exciting to to watch develop as he moves through the system. Of course, you've got a really talented uh, outfield there uh, all around in Stockton this year. 
Uh, Austin Beck, who was the A's uh, uh, top pick just a couple of years ago, um, is there as well, playing a lot of center field, a little little bit of right field. You know, last year in uh, Beloit, he had a good batting average, only hit a couple of home runs. And uh, this year, he's, uh, you know, already um, <laughs> he, he doubled his uh, home run output uh, in the first month of the season. So uh, what, do you, what have you been seeing out of Austin Beck in, in his time there in Stockton? Yeah, he had a two-homer game the other night, mm-hmm. um, and that, uh, that, that doubled his home run total actually for the year. Uh, <laughs> and and he's, uh, he's another guy that you could just tell the bat's going to be there. Um, you know, he can hit for average. Obviously, last year he led the Midwest League in, in hits. So, you know, and it's, it's strange because you, when you come to the Cal League, you know, you're, you're always looking for the home runs in the Cal League, especially early on. And, and guys are shocked that the ball flies out in this league in April because it's, you know, if you're in Beloit in April, uh, the ball's not going anywhere. So right. I think it's a shock to, to the hitters. And I always enjoy talking with, with the young hitters coming into the Cal League for the first time who have played in the Midwest League in April. And, I, and my first question is, how different is this? And they're like, man, it is it is like night and day. <laughs> um, the, the thing to be the thing to be concerned with, though, is is guys changing their approach because of it, because you can get the ball out in this league. Right. You, you don't want to see that approach change where it becomes like home run derby. And I think Austin has kept his approach very consistent. Um, so, you know, the fact that he doesn't have like 10 home runs in the month of April uh, should should be encouraging. I mean, the hits are the hits are coming. Uh, he had a couple of doubles in a game uh, the other day, became the first sports player to hit two doubles in a game, and then became the first sports player to hit two homers in a game the other day. So the, the hits are coming, um, and I, I've seen a lot of consistency with him at, at this level. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. But uh, I certainly agree with you. Yeah, whenever you talk to those hitters, uh, they sure are happy to get to Stockton after spending uh, spending the, the year in Beloit. The hitting environment is definitely a, a lot friendlier to uh, to these these guys in the California League. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Another guy that's really interesting who we've got there this year is shortstop Nick Allen. Um, he was a third round pick of the A's just a couple of years ago, and he's always been primarily known for his glove. And and he didn't, you know, hit that well at Beloit last year. But uh, again, he's gotten off to a good start with the bat in Stockton this year. And he seems to be hitting the ball with a with a lot more authority this year. Yeah, he's definitely hitting the ball hard. And I mean, not just for home runs, which he actually has a couple of home runs. And a couple of weeks ago, he was leading the team in home runs. And the guys were giving him a hard time about it, <laughs> asking him where his power came from in the offseason. But, but I mean, he's hit the ball hard uh, down the line in the gaps. Um, and he's putting really good swings on it. So that's that's very encouraging. I actually interviewed him uh, the other day and, and talked with him about that. And uh, and he worked a lot in the offseason on his approach at the plate. Um, and it's it's definitely showing. And I, I wonder in my own mind if if maybe there's not a ton of pressure that he puts on himself at the plate. I mean, there's a guy, you know, we just talked about Austin Beck, who probably does put some pressure on, on himself because he's going to be a guy that, that needs to swing the bat, whereas Nick Allen – is such a wizard defensively. If he can hit, you know, two two fifty, two sixty, right? Uh, he'll he'll be okay, you know. So I wonder if maybe he just doesn't put that kind of pressure on himself, and and that's the reason why he's been able uh, to have a really nice start with the bat in uh, in the month of April. And I I think coming into, uh, I actually have the, the stat here if you don't mind me giving it. Coming right. into uh, tonight's game, and I know where this is going to be uh, aired in a little bit, but uh, right. he's batting three twenty six over his last ten. Um, wow. and he's raised his average from 238 to 277 in that span. So it's, uh, it's good to see. It's encouraging to see for sure. Yeah, I know. I've seen a lot of uh, multi-hit games uh, out of him in the box score, which is always good to see. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, with his uh, defensive abilities, you know, it's great to see him being able to handle the bat as well, because that that suddenly makes him a much more threatening player if he can do some damage at the plate as well. Um, uh, one, one last hitter there that, that I also find kind of intriguing is uh, first baseman Alfonso Rivas. He was the A's fourth round draft pick last year and you know with all the Kyler Murray hype and everything some of those some of those the next few picks the A's made didn't get much attention but he's an interesting hitter he seems to have a very professional approach at the plate he really has the ability to get on base I I know he's uh, you know got to be among the top uh, on base guys at Stockton this year I'm curious to know what you've seen out of Alfonso Rivas in the early going this year well, I think it was telling that last year when when uh, the Ports needed another player for the uh, for the playoffs, they sent Alfonso Rivas 
So Rivas actually got some time in the playoffs. I think he did play in one playoff game last year, but he, he got that call up. And so that's what the organization thinks of him. He's a very mature hitter. And I was watching him actually at the cage in Visalia the other day. Um, and I was standing next to Brian McCarn, the, the ports hitting coach. And he just said, man, this kid can hit like he, he just <laughs> has that ability. Uh, and it was, he was just saying that to himself. He wasn't even saying right. it to me. So, you know, he's got that sweet swinging, you know, left-handed swing. Uh, and, and he's got that, that approach that stays very consistent. Like you said, it gets him on base a ton. So I, I think there's a, a lot of reason to be, to be optimistic there as well. Well, it's always good when the, the hitting coach is muttering to himself about what a good hitter someone is. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> All right. Let me just ask you briefly about uh, a, a couple of pitchers there. I think, uh, Probably, you know, one of the most impressive pitchers uh, you've had there in Stockton in the early going this season is another guy who came out of last year's draft. He was the A's fifth-round pick last year, and that's Brady Feigl. Uh, it seems like he's really been uh, pretty consistent uh, right out of the bat for for being with his first uh, full-season team this year, just, uh, you know, just uh, less than a year after uh, coming out of the draft. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, as a fifth-round pick, I, I guess he's got to have a – Got to have some some upside, but it looks like he's been doing it pretty pretty well pretty well on the mound in the early going. Yeah, I think he's the guy where in his first two starts of the season he he set career high marks in both innings pitched and strikeouts. And I know that it's it's a small sample size. I know he was he was drafted last year, so it's you know it didn't take much to shatter that. But you know coming out of the gate when when some guys you know go maybe maybe four innings. I mean he was right. going and probing deeper into those games. And, and the other night he actually struggled for the first time and, and he suffered the, suffered his first loss. So it'd be interesting to see how he bounces back from that. Uh, but, but another guy where you could tell that the stuff is there and he's very mature, which is part of the reason why he's finding himself in Stockton in, in 2019. Yeah, no, I mean, he seems like a guy who's a, a legitimate starting pitching prospect, whereas uh, a lot of times these days you're you're not sure if guys are going to have what it takes to, to, like you said, go go more than four or five innings. But he looks like the kind of guy who could uh, maybe actually be a legit starting pitcher. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was I was talking to a scout the other night, and we were just talking about the, the evolution of player development, and, and especially on the pitching side. And he goes, you know, I, I don't know what – I don't know if we're, if we're developing guys – uh, to be just middle relievers now, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're just developing a ton of middle relievers, because so much now in the, in the minor leagues, especially you see guys, as they say, five and dive. I mean, it's, it's right. five innings and, you know, you hope you can get, you get your pitches in, in five innings. And, you know, it, it's starting to look like if you go seven, it's an eye opening type outing yeah. and then, you know, let alone eight or nine, I can count on one hand, how many times I've seen guys, uh, especially with Stockton in my years go to full nine. So it's just a, it's a different, kind of a different way of, of going about it, I guess, from a player development uh, standpoint, but right. it, it'll be interesting to see in, in a couple of years, how all of this, how all of this pans out at the major league level. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I, if I recall, I think the only guy I've seen in the A system go uh, uh, eight innings in the first uh, month of the season was uh, Parker Dunchy uh, had one outing, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, like you said, it's it's rare even to see guys go go seven innings now. If I see that seven innings in a box score in a minor league game, I that that catches my attention right away. Yep, yep, because they're doing it. They're doing it in so few pitches. That just shows that you know they had, you know, they were at 70, 80 pitches come the come the seventh inning, and they were allowed to continue. Yeah, definitely. Well, one last guy I wanted to ask you about who who you had there uh, early on during the first month of the season and uh, uh, pitched so well. He's he's since moved on to Midland, and that's Dalton Jeffries. And he's such an interesting story because you you saw him there when he started out two years ago in the 2017 season with Stockton, and unfortunately, you know, he got hurt. He had to have Tommy John surgery, and he missed almost two full years. And then he came back to Stockton where he began uh, early this year and, and pitched for you there uh, on the way back from the Tommy John surgery. And he, and, he, and he looked really solid, which was great to see after going through that surgery. And he pitched so well that they've already moved him up to double-A Midland. But I'm curious to know what, what your impressions were seeing Dalton Jeffries the second time around here uh, uh, early in the season. Well, the, the first thing I was kind of looking at was the stuff. Uh, I think that's what everybody looks at coming off of Tommy John is, is, is the stuff the same? I mean, a guy might be able to go out and still pitch, but is he going to have that, that same type of stuff? And his stuff was awesome. It was awesome. Getting swings and misses, uh, getting, getting outs early in counts. 
Um, and, and I think there's there's reason to be encouraged with what you see from from Dalton. I mean, and granted, I only saw him three innings at a time, and I think that's the big that's the big question mark for me is can he sustain that now for for five innings? You right. know, and I'm I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't uh, they didn't let him try and go four and then five and then send him to Midland. Maybe maybe stretch him out a little bit here, but right. that's obviously you know way up the chain with with Gil Patterson and you know they they have their program and and so it is, but. I'll be curious to see if if he can sustain that that type of stuff uh, through five innings because he has starter stuff. I mean that's that's obviously where he projects. So I'm I'm hoping uh, for you know for Dalton's sake that he's able to do that and able to get stretched out in Midland. I don't know I don't know what the plan is in Midland. I don't know if it's to to get him to, to five innings at all this year if they just want to keep him three and done for this first year. But um, this stuff is there. That's the one definite that I could say and. Um, his makeup is, is fantastic. I mean, he was, he's uh, such a great kid. He was very emotional after his first outing of the year, which was on, uh, on opening night. He came in for Chris Bassett because Bassett has had the rehab outing that night. Right. And I asked Dalton about, about coming back to that mound where he basically saw, uh, his career hit a, a bump in the road in 2017. And he said, I came off the mound and I was just, I was so emotional for so many reasons. I mean, it's, you know, it was in a setting that's close to home. He grew up going to Ports games as a kid. Uh, it's the same place where uh, he he had to really dig deep and 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 figure out how he was going to come back. And and to have that moment on opening night felt really good for him. Yeah, I think uh, uh, from what I've heard, I, I believe they want to try to limit him to to somewhere between seventy five to a hundred innings this year. So that's a pretty that's a pretty, you know, low innings limit. So uh, I'm not sure how much they're going to have him, how long they're going to have him go per outing. But I think on the season, they want to try to keep him somewhere, somewhere around 75 to 100. I think they're, they've really decided to be very, very cautious with a lot of these Tommy John guys, you know, and and, and not, mm-hmm. not, not run the risk of overdoing it at all that, that first year back, you know. Yeah, and I, I and there's maybe no proven way of going about it yet. I think they're literally doing this on the fly, and it yeah. goes from organization to organization. I don't know if there's a right or wrong, a wrong way. I'm not a medical person, but and again, it's going to be one of those things where it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out a few years from now. I think. Yeah, definitely. But it's great to see him pitching so well. You know, after all this time off, to to see that the stuff is still there and he's able to command his stuff as well as he has. That's that's a really an encouraging sign for Dalton Jeffries and everyone who who wants to see Dalton Jeffries do well in the A's system. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for taking time out to join us today, Zach. It's always fun talking to you about uh, life in the California League, as well as all the uh, the exciting young prospects that you've always got passing through there in Stockton. If uh, if you don't normally uh, get a chance to tune into the Stockton Ports game, folks, take the opportunity to tune in and hear our friend Zach Beirudi bringing you the play-by-play and painting the picture there with the Stockton Ports games uh, every single night. It's a, it's a lot of fun to tune into those uh, California League games and hear how all those top prospects are doing on a daily basis. Thanks again for joining us today, Zach. Bill, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Stay tuned for more on the Ace Farm podcast coming right up. If you follow the A's minor league system at all, then you're already well aware of A's outfield prospect Lazaro Armenteros. The A's signed the Cuban teenager to a reported $3 million deal back in 2016. He swung the bat well during a four-month stint in Beloit last year, and now he's swinging a big bat for Stockton this season. Our Robert Bermudez recently took some time to catch up with him at Banner Island Ballpark in Stockton. I'm joined now by Lazaro Armenteros. He was signed in 2016 out of Cuba. He's an outfielder for your Stockton Ports. First of all, Lázaro, thank you for talking with us today. First off, what's been the transition coming from Cuba to the United States? What's that been like for you? He said that to him it was a little bit hard because he had to um, a lot of bad moments, and but he, now he's here and he's uh, he's very happy to be here. What's been the hardest part about adjusting to life in the U.S.? The language. And being far away from family. How hard is it to be away from your family for long periods of time? For him, it's very hard because he was um, raised by his mother, so to leave her behind is very difficult for him. Uh, when you first came over, were there any players that might have helped you or gave you advice? 
They, they play a game with the Dodgers, and he, uh, Jesse Poy was a big help for him. Are you still in contact with Puig? Do you still talk to him regularly? He doesn't have his number, but uh, by Instagram, they sometimes they exchange words. What was it like playing in Beloit last season after you spent so much of your life playing in a warm climate? He, uh, he didn't play the whole season, but uh, he says that he, he uh, got used to pretty good and he managed to do a pretty good season. Uh, what adjustments have you made at the plate since you came over from Cuba? He says he's changed a lot, uh, keeping the eye on the ball and then making adjustments to the swing at the plate so that he can hit. What are the biggest differences between pitchers in Cuba and pitchers in the minor leagues? He says here they, they, they're very professional. Here they, play, uh, they pitch with intelligence. And then in Cuba, that's, that's kind of missing over there. Your ability to draw walks is very advanced, especially for being 19 years old. Have you always been good at drawing walks? He says, yes, yeah, since, uh, since little, he's always been good at the baseball. And when you draw a lot of walks, a lot of times you go into deep counts. Do you think seeing so many pitches uh, has led to a higher strikeout rate? He says, no, he says, here, when they're going to go play a, a group, and they, um, they study the pitcher, and so then, then they get used to the type of pitching that it's, it's going to be uh, receiving. Finally, you've been playing a lot of left field this season. Which of the outfield positions is most comfortable for you? Is it left field, or are you still more comfortable maybe in center field? He likes to play all three positions in, in the outfield, but because he has an injury, he had an injury in his shoulder, then he's been, um, they put him in the left field. Moving forward, what's your biggest goal for this upcoming season? He's to try to do the best he can in the field, and then after that, it's not up to him, it's up to the, the bosses or the, the person in charge. All right, thank you again and best of luck with this upcoming season. Gracias a usted por venir aquí a darme la oportunidad de entrevistarme nuevamente. Thank you. Gracias. Thanks a lot, Rob. And thanks to all of you out there for listening to this edition of the A's Farm Podcast. Be sure to check back in for the next episode. And don't forget that you can always find daily updates on the A's top prospects and all the daily action in the A's minor league system on our A's Farm website at athleticsfarm.com. That's athleticsfarm.com. Thanks again. I'm A's Farm Editor-in-Chief Bill Moriarty, and we'll see you again down on the farm. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 